Now all the letters of the Apostle Paul are written because there is some purpose, some cause, some event has happened in the churches that elicit from him a letter uh, of commendation, a letter of constructive criticism maybe, but a letter which is meant to be read in the congregation and which contains much spiritual nurture and truth. Now, the letter to the Colossians was written because there was a real need to do three things. One, the Colossian church had never been visited by the Apostle Paul. And so, he wanted to introduce himself to them and to convey to him the fact that he cared for them and that he bore them on his heart and that he remembered them regularly in his prayers. That was one thing that he does in this letter. The second thing uh, that Paul wishes to do, he wishes to convey to them his gratitude and his esteem of the minister of the church there. This man Epaphras, who is the, would appear to be the, the pastor evangelist of the church and has brought a gift to the Apostle Paul and also brought their questions regarding this new gospel that had arisen in their midst. And the third thing that Paul needed to do was to combat this false teaching that was invading the church like a virus invading the body. It was a strange mixture of Judaism and Orientalism. Uh, theologians would call it syncretism. It's a big word. It just means to, to bind things together, to mix things up. Syncretism. And this is what these new teachers who had arrived at Colossae were doing. Uh, they were engaged in an intellectual uh, kind of speculation of what the future could hold for the church. And in this extent, they were detracting from the grandeur and the glory and the honour of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you uh, want, want to look at, see, see what they were teaching, if you look at chapter 2 and verses 4 and verse 8, you will see there that the mixed up beliefs that they have. And then they were also indulging in a degree of ascetism and sensuality. And you find that in chapter 2, verse, between verses 16 and 18. They were a group of people that Paul was implacably opposed to. They were teaching a kind of mysterious knowledge. Gnosticism is the technical word for it. But they were not teaching the plain, simple gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world to save. And that got the goat of the apostle so that he wrote this letter, a strongly worded letter against them. And yet a letter of great and encouragement. Now, uh, against all this, Paul seeks to raise the focus of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my task this uh, evening are, is to show you how the Apostle reveals his deep interest in the Colossians by commending them in his prayers for their faith, their love, and their hope. Salvation in three tenses. Faith is in the past. We trust in what's happened in the past. Love 
is the experience and the expression of our present Christian life. We are to love one another and to care for one another and to love supremely the wonderful character and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have this hope in the future. Not the blind hope, like when you miss a train and you're hoping that another one's going to come in the next five minutes, or you miss your bus, or you miss your lift to work or school or whatever it is, but a sure and certain fixed hope that the Christ and the God who has promised and performed in the past will perform again in the present into the future. And all this I want to set before you as best I can this evening. Uh, uh, what can we find then by questioning uh, our, our text? Our text is found in verses 3 and 4. Listen to it. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also amongst you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Three principles then. Faith, love, and hope. The first thing then that I want to leave before you is this. We have salvation in the past tense. Clearly stated before us in our word. Christianity, you see, when it comes to a quickened, an enlivened, and a, a, a believing soul, the first thing that happens, we have to place our faith in the facts concerning the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary by a special operation of the Holy Spirit. There was a wonderful inception in the womb of this young lady and she brought forth the one who was the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even his name was divinely inspired. The angel told Joseph that you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The old Jewish name, the Hebrew name for Jesus is Joshua, which means he will save. He will save. And this comes to us. We have to believe that this birth was a, a, a special birth. And then the life. He grows up. There are approximately 30 years of obscurity apart from the incident when he was 12 and brought to the temple and his parents missed him after a three-day journey assuming that he was with them. You must never assume that Christ is with you, dear friends. Make sure that you trust him and believe on him from your heart and make sure that you bowed the knee to him and received him as your Lord and your Saviour. Don't assume anything. Search, seek, he first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things that we desire, that we need, not so much our desires, but our needs, will be satisfied. I've been a Christian now since the age of 19. I'm now reaching rapidly my 81st birthday. I'm getting old. At the moment, I'm middle age. But... <laughs> What do you mean you're laughing? Ah. 
Yes, I'm, I'm a bit old. I get up in the morning and be, uh, I have to uh, oil the joints with WD-40 to get myself mobile again and to crank myself up. And uh, yet I look back over, over all that time of Christian experience and I can honestly say, he has never failed me. I've failed him miserably and abysmally. But he has never, ever failed me. Time and time again, I wanted a job, I got a job. We wanted to move our, our house to assist in a youth work that was foundering in another church. We said we would go and help them. And the, the house and the job all came together like a glove. I opened up a, 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 a newspaper uh, that had been wrapped around a cabbage that my wife had sent me out to buy from Basildon Market. This was before the time health and safety had got to grips with them and they said, you've got to wrap everything in clean paper. They wrapped it up in the newspaper. And as I, my wife was cutting the cabbage for the meal, I spread it and it was the situation's vacant. And there it was. Marley Buildings are looking for a storekeeper can buyer in their South Ockenden branch. And that's exactly where we'd been asked to move to, South Ockenden. So I, I, I rang up that hour to find that the manager was still in the office on a Saturday afternoon. Why was he there? Because they had nobody to look after the stock taking and the buying of the uh, equipment they needed and he was having to do two jobs. He welcomed me with open arms. I went there on the Monday, they interviewed me and they said, the job's yours. I said to him, how can you give me the job so quickly? He said, you're the only applicant. <laughs> Ego deflating it was. But that was all in the providences of God. The house came. And we were able to move into a lovely house in a lovely part of a little village called Avery. And all was part and parcel of God's plan and purpose. Now, I'm not special. You, you can experience that kind of thing if you believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't lean on your own understanding. Commit everything, every day, every morning, in prayer to him and ask him to guide you through your day. And the amazing thing is, no matter what happens to you, he will be with you. Christianity starts then with the facts about Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return to heaven. He rose from the dead. We have to believe these things. These are the gospel facts that we are asked to believe on. And you may say, well, I can't bring myself to believe that. You're not alone in that respect. It took me six months to work out. And a medical doctor came to the little church I was going to and preached on the two foundations, the two builders and the two destinies. And he ended up by saying, which foundation are you building on? Which person would you identify with? And which destiny are you expecting? I could not rest for 24 hours until a friend realised what was happening to me. He said, you're under conviction. And there, we knelt at my bedside and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me, repenting of my sins and believing on him as my Lord and my Saviour. And I was 19 and the date was the 16th of April, 1962. Don't wonder why I can... I've got that kind of mind. I should have been a historian, not a theologian. I can remember dates in that. Whenever we're watching a TV programme and history comes up, my wife immediately looks to me and says, what's the answer? And like that, and I get it wrong. 
But never mind, she has great faith in my historical knowledge, let alone my theological knowledge. But you have to believe. You're not alone in having doubts about this. I've told you before about General Lou Wallace. He had great doubts. He didn't believe. He wasn't a believer. And for three years, he researched the life of Christ. And at the end of it, he believed. Who was General Lou Wallace? Well, you, you know the book Ben-Hur. You've seen the film. Well, Lou Wallace was the man who wrote it. And he came to three conclusions. Jesus Christ was real. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And Jesus Christ became, at the age of 55, the saviour of General Lou Wallace. You've heard of Lee Strobel? He was a crime writer for one of the national newspapers in America. An atheist. He was furious when his wife was converted. She challenged him and said, you researched the life of Christ. His editor gave him three months to do it. He researched, visiting various professors of Bible-believing principle and of atheistic principle. And in the end, he amassed a great massive information about Jesus Christ that compelled him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for himself. Think of Augustine, one of the great names, Augustine of Hippo, not Augustine of Canterbury. Don't get the two mixed up. The one is a thoroughgoing biblical theologian. The other was just an envoy for the Pope of Rome. Augustine of Hippo had great doubts and one day he heard a child in the next garden playing, they were playing a game and the child was saying tole lege, tole lege, which was Latin for meaning take up and read the Bible. So he thought that must be a message. So he got a Bible and started to read it. And then a friend introduced him to Ambrose, the great preacher of those days. And Ambrose could see that there was a young man who had a future. So he spoke with him, he wrestled with him and he proved Christ to him and Augustine trusted in Christ and became in the third century of uh, this era the greatest theologian that the church has ever had up until the time of great men like John Owen who was, a, who was an Englishman but with a name like that he must have been Welsh and, and, and <laughs> you must forgive me I'm proud of my heritage although we did this ancestry check and you'll never believe it I'm English. My, <laughs> my family come from Hereford. <laughs> what a laugh. The two brothers who founded the Winston family in Wales moved from Hereford, where our great-great-grandfather of the quarry, and he worked uh, for the coal mines and the steel industry in Merthyr Titville. And that's how the family were born in Wales. So um, my antecedents, actually, are English. So I'm a... A pure mongrel, <laughs> part English, part Welsh. And uh, my wife reckons that part of me must be gypsy because we've moved in our marriage nine times. <laughs> nine times. But never mind, we, we're really skilled at this. Strobel, Augustine, Lou Wallace, they all had doubts, but they all came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they prayed and asked God to reveal himself. You'll never get saved unless you ask God to enlighten you and bring his spirit to bear upon you. You can read the Bible from cover to cover and it will not speak to you unless you believe 
that the Spirit of God can come and interpret its meaning to your heart and your mind in an almost tangible, sensible way so that you will feel that Christ is real for you and you trust him. And the moment you trust him, you have that sense of peace. There's an old hymn written by Augustus Toplady, another one of the hymns I'm trying to recover <laughs> Uh, it, 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 rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee let the waters and the blood from thy riven side that flowed be of sin the double cure get that the double cure cleanse me from its guilt and power you get more theology in one line of hymns by Augustus Top Lady than you get in any of this modern claptrap that comes over the internet these days some of it is good don't get me wrong but some of it is abysmal the theology in it is, is, is criminal they are murdering the gospel in some of the things that they write but three men and of course you can count me as the fourth I'm an example of what Christ can do if you let him into your heart and your life during the time that I was in the pastorate, various people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as, as their saviour. Some of them uh, came from everyday, ordinary, humdrum backgrounds, like the milkman who used to deliver our milk. His wife started coming to the church. And then the news agent, his wife started coming to the church. And he starts coming. And, and, and people who you wouldn't expect to get saved suddenly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And... and and they, they, they unfortunately move on to other churches, but they get saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to believe the facts. Faith is based on the facts. Faith is not pie in the sky when you die. You are believing in the facts. And these facts are accredited, authenticated by the apostles who write the first four Gospels and uh, Luke, who is one of the uh, aides of the apostles, and Mark, who was a, an amanuensis, a, a secretary for the apostle Peter, and he wrote, uh, according to a, a great preacher and teacher called Papias, uh, Mark recorded what he could remember of the preaching of Peter. So Mark's gospel is based on the, the facts of what Peter proclaimed in his gospel uh, preaching. And then you've got the record of Josephus, a Jewish historian who writes eloquently about this character called Jesus Christ, a field preacher from Galilee who claimed to be the Son of God and apparently did miracles. And then there's a, a Roman historian, Tacitus, who records similar things. They knew he was a real character of flesh and blood. And the Bible presents him as God, the Son incarnate in human flesh he came to reveal the magnanimous love and mercy and grace of God for our purpose this evening our faith can be an acrostic a mnemonic something to help you to remember it you put on the blackboard of your mind F-A-I-T-H faith faith stands for forsaking a for all, forsaking all. What does it forsaking all mean? It means you forsake your own self-righteous. You can't think that you're good enough to satisfy a thrice holy God. You are just like me, a complete and utter failure in the moral realm. 
We can't even control our imagination sometimes. We get to grips with it for a little while and then we fail, lamentably. We have to forsake any attempt at establishing a personal self-righteousness. And then the I stands for I, the me. This is the real me. That part of me that argues with itself, that debates within itself, that the emotional life and the intellectual life argue before the throne of the will and then the will says, well, I'm going to do it this way. You argue with yourself in your soul and in your, in your heart. And then the last bit, the T and the H, stands for trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him the whole life placed into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come what may. Come what may. When I spent my first day in the local school in the village in which I was born and bred, when I came home, I rushed up to my mother with two burning questions. Man, man, man. What is it, Robert? I, I want to know, who earns the most, teachers or preachers? My mother thought for a moment, I said, oh, teachers, definitely. Don't be a preacher, they don't get much pay. Ah, I said, and my second question is this, when can I leave? <laughs> she used to keep reminding me that. The first day in school I wanted to leave, I thought I'd learned it all. I became a perpetual student. The, one old preacher said to me at my ordination and in induction back in 1984, he said, Robert, you realise you are becoming a perpetual student of the word of God. Pastor Percy Crees. He was up the road here for 40 years in uh, New Cross. Uh, and I said, yes, I, uh, I, I know that, Pastor. And he said, I'm going to give you some advice. Learn to say no. And with that, he walked away. I thought, what do you mean? One year later, he came back. And he came to me and said, have you learned to say no? I said, yes, I have. I was asked to join the National Health Service South Essex Trust. I was asked to become governor of five schools. I accepted uh, one. I, I was asked to join the Social Services Resources Committee. I said, and I have to say no to all these people. There's a lot of others. And he said, you've learnt the first important lesson of the pastorate. Your job is the Bible and stick at it. And you, you must be an eternal student of the word of God. And my friends, it's not only pastors who have to be busy up reading the word of God all the time. You also have to emulate people like me and people like Tim and people like Jonathan and people like any pastor that you may yet call to serve this church. You must be students, avid students of the Bible, the word of God. It's the only safe course for us as Christians. Faith then rests on the past, the facts about Christ, his work for us, his life, his death and his glorious resurrection. My next point is this. We have salvation in the present tense. Faith and love. Love for all the saints. Let me clear up one thing. Saint. I get annoyed with the Lady Bird publications. They've got this book, the Lady Bird Book of Saints. They're all these stained glass characters. They've got it completely wrong. You and I are saints. What? Me a saint? Saint Robert? Well, I don't actually, <laughs> I don't actually claim to be that. But the biblical term for saint is someone who's set apart. 
You and I are set apart for God. And a saint describes our position, not our condition. One of your English kings, who got very rough handling by uh, uh, one of our, Owen Lindauer, uh, who was a, the, the Welsh king at the time, uh, Henry IV, had a son called Henry, who became Henry V. Henry V, who was then dubbed with the title Prince of Wales, if you usurp in the title of uh, Onlanda, he, he was a wastrel, he drank, he, he never turned up on time to the council chamber meeting. His father was incensed with him. And at last, Henry IV said to him, Henry, if you don't shape up, I'm going to put you in the tower. He won't put me in the tower. I'm his favourite and only son. But he did. He sent him to the tower and said to the two jailers, you feed him bread and water. It's October, the winter's coming. I don't want him given pine logs for the fire. I don't want him to have bedding. I want him to have nothing but straw and bread and water and to be in freezing cold conditions. Now then, put yourself in the position of these jailers. Here he is, the Prince of Wales. And he's going to be in their prison, fed bread and water, given nothing for the fire, and made to sleep on straw. Remember who he is? He's destined to be the next king. And he becomes Henry VIII. So what would you do? Would you obey the king? Or would you secretly feed him with the best that money could buy, give him the best bedding that you could get, and feed him... A everything that he wanted, including giving him pine logs for the fire in the grate in the prison. That's exactly what these jailers did. Because they knew that the condition was temporary, but the position of prince was permanent, and he would ultimately become king. And that's the difference between position and condition. Your position is you are a saint of God. God has set you apart. You're the apple of his eye. He loves you with an intensity of heart and mind which staggers belief. He has given for me and you his only begotten son on the cross of Calvary. And the agonies that God the Father bore as well as the agony that Christ the Son bore. Can you imagine the Father pouring his wrath upon the Son it must have almost broken his heart to do it. And yet he did it because it was part of the covenant of redemption that the shed blood of Christ would turn into the covenant of great For Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And every sacrifice and every covenant in the scriptures is always sanctified by blood. And here was a precious blood. It was the blood of of Christ being shed on the cross. Your love for all the saints. You and I are saints. And they have love for one another. Uh, this uh, Christian love is something that we are to feel. And to, and to experience. Love is lived in the now. Not the past or the future. It's the now. When my wife and I got married... Uh, we were given a certificate. Now, I don't 
go to the drawer in which I keep the certificate and pull it out from time to time and wave it in front of her and say, this says that you've got to love me. I know she loves me. She washes my socks. I wouldn't touch my socks. <laughs> They're lethal. She irons my shirt. She keeps me neat and tidy. She says to me, what are you doing wearing that pullover, that shirt and those trousers? You look like a freak. Change them. <laughs> Change them. This morning, it took me two attempts to get the right shirt and pullover on. The first one I brought out, ugh! But the sec this one, yes, success. And why did she do that? Why did she put up with me for, how long is it now, 57 years? It's because she loves me. But the reverse is also true. Why do I put up with her? Leaving the bottle off the milk, leaving the cupboard door open. <laughs> Worrying over the most inconsequential thing because I love her. I don't need a certificate. We love one another. And that's what Christian love is like. We need to be told by the Bible that we are to love one another. Husband, love your wives and love one another. Jesus said to his disciples, I give you a new commandment this day. Chapter 13, verse 37, that you love one another as I have loved you. He elevated, not as, as love each other as your neighbour, but love each other as I have loved you. His love is that divine love, agape love, not filial love, not stolje love, not acquaintance love, but that deep affection which would give its life for people like me and you. That's how we are to love one another, to care for one uh, another. The disposition uh, of the will and the mind, it, 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 it's a present experience. We are changed so that we become people who are genuine in what we give of ourselves in love for each other. All who by faith are related to Christ are automatically brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, in one church I was in, there were, there were people from India, people from Nigeria, people from Ghana, uh, people from Wales, pe even people from Scotland. And we were all brothers and sisters in, in, in Christ because we had this common bond. And it's Jesus Christ, his love that spread abroad in our hearts that, that makes us love one another. Paul writes in Galatians 5 and verse Verse 5, he says, faith working through love. The outworking of your faith is through this love that we have for one another. Then in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, he prays that Christian love should be rooted and grounded uh, in, in, in faith. Why does he use this mixture of metaphors? Rooted is an agricultural term. Grounded is a, a building term. It, what is, his aim is stability, no matter what your circumstances. To be stable, automatically to, to love one, one another. Uh, it's, uh, his aim is stability in all this because Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. The consequence of this is in verse 19 where we are told that we are to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge. We are to know this love. How can you know that love? By indulging in it, by getting to grips with it, and by loving one another. 
Cliff Richards is a bit of an enigma. He claims to be a Christian. Sometimes I would say he is, sometimes I'm not so sure. But on one occasion, oh, about 30 years ago, he visited India and he went to a leper colony. And he saw one of the nurses there with a horrible case of disfigurement of leprosy and she was tending the man's wounds and touching him and, and, and bathing his wounds. He said to her after, he said, how could you do that? And she just said to him, I'm a Christian and I'm showing them the love of Christ. And he said, well, I, I could not do that. And he had great respect for this little Indian nurse who showed the love of Christ to a man who was so abhorrent because of his defigurement that it repelled Cliff Richard from the scene. He left. But that nurse stayed to, to try and ease the difficulty of that man. Christ commands us in Matthew 22, 37 and 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul and strength. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But he elevates it according to John's Gospel and says, as I have loved you, so shall you love. He elevates it from loving the neighbour like myself to loving my neighbour like him. He shall love one another. Now, this is something we can't do in our own strength. But humanly speaking, we, we, we fail. But you see, we are not alone in this. Christ, by his Spirit, comes alongside us and helps us. Remember that verse in Scripture, which uh, Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. He was writing this text out when suddenly, bang, the devil appeared there. And the devil said, look, said, ha, you can't do that. And the great man, Luther, said, let me finish my writing. No, 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 no. You can't do it. And immediately the devil put a gold coin on the desk and said, I bet you, you can't do all things. I'm not a betting man, said Luther. Ah, you're a coward, you snivelling little man. So Luther's temper got up now and he said, all right, I'll take your bet on one condition. What's that, said the devil? You allow me to finish what I'm writing. All right, go in then, but I bet you can't do all things. So then... Luther took his pen and he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ah, said the devil, the bet's off. There's two of you. Do you get it? There are two of us. Christ lives within. This isn't pie in the sky. This is the reality of Christian faith. The moment you believe on him and trust in him and rely on him, you, you, you'd hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Trust and obey is a, is a chorus that my, my wife loves. She used to sing it when she went into the exam room in a college in Wales. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's true, my friends. We are called to trust by faith in him in the facts and then to reveal that we have a current experience of Christ in our hearts by loving one another. Now I must hurry on, my time's nearly gone. Finally we have salvation in the future tense. Hope. Hope in a glorious future. Hope is a subject somewhat neglected in our thinking. Not only in, in, in this age, but in past ages as well. 
Uh, I looked up uh, in my commentaries. Uh, th there's a, this great theologian, Dr. Thomas Goodwin, a, a great man, a, a man who helped to found and establish independency uh, and uh, uh, eventually became, with John Owen, a, a congregationalist, wrote the Savoy Declaration of Faith. Show you how naive I was as a young Christian. I thought the Savoy Declaration was something to do with cabbages, not a statement of faith by the congregational churches. I lived to learn my, my error. And Goodwin has, in his famous work, he, in the index, he has 124 references to faith. But only two references to hope. Something wrong there. John Calvin in his great commentaries, has 58 references to faith, but only 16 to hope. A modern theologian, Dr. Wayne Grudem, has nine references to faith and only one reference to hope. Do you see my point? We neglect the meaning of hope. Hope is a certain point that needs to be re-emphasized in Christian doctrine, in our personal doctrine. What is hope? Hope is composed in Christian elements of two sections. One is desire and the other is expectation. You desire something. You expect to get it, but in between, you work for it. You determine that you're going to get there. I left school before I took my GCEs back in 1950. There were reasons for that, but I was doing reasonably well. And uh, I was on course for maybe getting a few A-levels and going to university. But my parents needed me out to work, so I left to work. I bitterly regretted it, and I kept remembering that I had taken another boy's place. I had taken a place and I hadn't used it properly. I had neglected it. I had taken a boy's place who may have gone on to become a doctor. Become, we had a, one of the leaders of the Atomic Energy Authority uh, up until quite recently, was one of the graduates of the school I was in. Neil Kinnock. Well, I'm not too proud about this. <laughs> he was in the class above me. We didn't like him very much. He, he had, he, he's al already thrown his weight around because he was made a, a sub-prefect. You know, that's, that's nearly a full-blown prefect. But he was there. there. There were others who were in that school. But I left. And my wife will tell you, I always regretted because I felt I had robbed another boy of doing something with his mind and his brain. So I decided rather late in life, I would do something with my mind and brain to fill up the gap that I had missed by not doing it when I was younger in school. I desired something. I had expectations, but I worked hard, grafting hard over my books day and night so that I accomplished and achieved what I wanted. My hope was satisfied. And when you satisfy your hope, there's a great deal of joy that comes your way. That's what, that's what hope is like. It's a, it's, it's a desire and an expectation that you think about and you won't rest until you accomplish it. And in Christian circles, that hope is heaven. Heaven. Do you aspire to go to heaven? Well, there's only one way of getting there. 
and that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, this dying world will be brought to an end. Like a tired garment, it will be wound up and cast aside. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and within which will dwell righteousness. My dear friends, that's going to be me and you. The righteousness that we possess in Christ that we sometimes fail to realise, fail to understand, will be materialised and ultimately ours when we pass from time to eternity and we hear our great Saviour say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What? Me, Lord? Yes, you. You. Fumbling, failing, faulty creature that I am. My position is secure in Christ. It's not what my heart or my brain feels. It's what he says. And I am a saint of God, as are you, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And your destiny is to live forever. Not in the hallowed halls of heaven only, but one day to repopulate a new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Righteous people like me and you, doing the Lord's will. Have you grasped it? Salvation in three tenses. Faith, love, hope. Let me be plain. Whatever your desire is and your expectation right now, only you can decide what it is. Is your future destined to be the horror of plunging into the pit of hell of knowing that you had the opportunity of trusting and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ he was only a prayer away and you turned aside from him uh, to have that burning sense of shame that you had the opportunity and you failed to take it oh my dear friends but if uh, the darkness and the, and the horror that will be yours beyond the grave. But for the believer, what will it be? It will be glory. It will be grandeur. It will be a, in a state and a condition that we could never have achieved by any effort of our own powers. But ours because of the efforts of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross of Calvary. Have you got that? Napoleon Bonaparte was quite an art connoisseur. There was a, a famous artist in Paris at the time who had painted some wonderful pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ that were hanging in the Louvre. His man, his surname was Danica. He was also a sculptor. Napoleon sent a message to him and said, I want you to paint picture in all her glory of the goddess Venus the answer came back no Napoleon sent another messenger with a bag full of gold I will give you all this if you paint a glowing picture of the goddess Venus again the bag of gold was returned with the answer no Napoleon got out his best carriage and rode up to Danica's little house got out strode in and said What's the matter with you? Danica said. My Lord, these hands have painted images of Christ. I cannot lower them to paint immoral 
images for you or anyone else. Napoleon looked at him for a moment and realised he had a man of moral character and he saluted him and walked out. Would you have had the courage to do that? If you trust Christ this night, he will grant you the courage, the power, the determination, the influence, the aim of serving him to the utmost of your power. And hey, you won't be alone in this because I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. God bless you and may you trust him this night. Salvation in three tenses.